Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. My name is Emma and this week I'll be chatting to folk across the whole region about their local food shopping habits and wishes for the future. First I'm joined by Magnus who lives in Thurzo. So welcome Magnus, it's great to have you here. It would be really great if you could start off by just finding out what your food story has been during the COVID-19 experience and the lockdown. It's been quite interesting actually. So my partner is pregnant, so she kind of started shielding. So all the food shopping suddenly became my responsibility. Not that we didn't share it previously, but yeah, I was I was looking after it. On top of that, obviously with the restrictions and only being encouraged to go shopping as few times a week as possible, we, instead of going to the shops and picking stuff up after work every day, we're shopping on a Sunday and a Wednesday effectively because we were picking stuff up for neighbours so it made sense to go twice a week. So that meant we had to get a lot more organised with our food and our shopping, meal planning on a Sunday night, knowing what we're going to have through the week, only buying what we were needing, not picking up those impulsive purchases. It was meaning that we were probably saving money with less food wastage, which was really quite cool. On top of that, there is the change in what was available as well. So I eat fish and buy lots of fish and go fishing myself. So the availability of prawns suddenly, or langoustines as some people call them, was just amazing. Um, other foodstuffs were perhaps slightly less available. We were going to the butchers a bit more. I use a fishmonger's a couple of times a week anyway, so that didn't really change. Some of what was landed changed. So it, was, it was a really interesting circumstance. And we've largely managed to keep it up. We were talking, and my partner and I were talking about this earlier, and we've kind of slipped back a wee bit on some issues. And I just came back from the shop with impulse bought biscuits. So we're not quite as good as we were, but we're certainly a lot better. So do you think that you eat more local food now than you did before? We, I think we've made a real effort. I certainly made a real effort before to eat local food. So... We use the butchers, we use the fishmongers, we use a local shop, but it's got a wide selection of what you could probably call kind of delicatessen foods, so cheeses, fish, um, these kind of things. So I make an effort, because the quality is a lot better in my opinion, uh, the price is a bit higher, but I buy them anyway. So I don't know if we've changed as much. I think we were pretty good beforehand. But yeah, it's making us think a bit more about what we're eating and where it's come from. What sort of access do you have up in Thurso to seasonal vegetables or, or fruits or do you have a local baker? What other sort of local food options do you have up there? We grow our own um, or have been growing more of our own veg over the years. But bizarrely enough, and I think this is not the common experience, I just lost all enthusiasm for it this year. I think it was because we couldn't access the garden centre And that was largely a a, a big part of what makes me enthusiastic about growing my own. We've got some of our own fruit trees and we have a wonderful neighbour here as well who has a whole bunch of fruit trees. So she's getting a a little bit elderly. So I've been helping pick loads and loads of plums and apples. That's as local as it gets, isn't it? Do you have any farmer's markets up in Thurslow in that area? Not so much. Um, not what I would define as a farmer's market, and especially this year, there's not really been anything, but there's different events where you can pick bits and bobs up. Um, but I wouldn't say there's really a farmer's market or anything, no. 
you ever hear in the community or within your friends or your family anybody speaking about markets or if there was a desire for a market do you ever feel that there's actually an appetite there that people want to have that type of thing oh definitely i think that would be really cool i would love it for a whole bunch of reasons and just across not just fruit and veg but meat and fish and all types of produce i've not been involved in it but i know a lot of local trades and craft type people have been having this kind of virtual market during lockdown because obviously they've not been able to go to any conventional market so my partner's been buying loads of kind of local craft stuff that just gets delivered to the door so that could have been quite a cool experience if it was for food stuff but again I like to see and feel and smell the food and see what new stuff there is and I don't know if that's an experience that you could get virtually maybe it is so when you think about what new habits that you've created and, and older habits that you've perhaps developed a bit more and you look forward and you think about you're about to become a dad and you think what kind of what kind of food would you like to be available for you and your family going forward and how would you like to access that Do you know what would be your ideal meal plan if you like yeah so over the years i think i've been more conscious of food miles but also kind of weighing that up against the the agricultural practices but kind of weighing up the local aspect and the carbon footprint and asking these questions sometimes is local better or where different foodstuffs are growing i think like the palm oil over the last couple of years has really highlighted rainforest so um, something might be kind of low carbon but it's really impacted biodiversity elsewhere so all these kind of questions i'm just trying to slowly get better on so I would like to begin with low food miles for the carbon footprint, but also because you're investing in the local area and local suppliers, local people. That obviously means that a lot of it will need to be seasonal here in the North Scotland, but local can mean Scottish, UK. It doesn't have to mean just kind of close by. So I would like to see kind of like a wider variety as well. So I think we've seen this in the the seafood kind of sector we've obviously export a huge amount of seafood from scrapster to the markets in europe i tend to try and be quite good and try lots of different things but i know that other people don't so i would like to see a wider variety uh, available as well then we get to the question of red meat and we know the carbon footprint of red meat we know the cultural and societal impact that the farming has on local areas so on one hand it's weighing up the carbon footprint of meat and on the other hand it is this local issue the local economy so in my mind i think right maybe eat a bit less meat but make sure it's local make sure it's really high quality make sure that we're eating weird bits of the sheep and using it all and uh, yeah good quality local food and the stuff that's got a higher carbon footprint, we perhaps should be eating that less often. No, I can see where you're coming from. And when I think about how I try to plan my family meal plan and do my shopping, it'd be quite closely linked to what you've just said there. I'm quite happy that I've sort of captured what it's like to shop up in Thurzo and I'm quite excited about the fact that you suddenly had a lot more access to seafood yeah. um, and that would have been historically quite a natural part of the of the diet of people that lived up there so it's lovely to see that what do you think is it mainly because that seafood would normally just be exported straight off to an international market and it just never went via the local market is that what happened 
Yeah, so that's probably for the general, most people, that's the issue. Um, as I say, I tend to eat seafood a lot. Um, we're probably loads better positioned than people further down the line in cities or towns because there is still a good appetite and a good market here for fish. But yeah, some of it does just get exported straight away. So prawns is the main one. They just go straight to Europe. Um, and all these prawn boats were suddenly realising that there was no market for their produce. They could either tie up or they could find a new market. And that was as effectively. So a couple of boys I saw who had their own boats on Facebook said, look, I'm going to tie up for the next four or five months or however long they were thinking it was at that point. Or is anybody interested in Murray Firth prawns or West Coast prawns? I can land the boat in Scrabster on Tuesday and sell them straight from the boat. And then it was amazing to see all these people on Facebook going, yeah, I'd buy some prawns. Yeah, that's class. And then so we were down buying loads of prawns and then it suddenly became, oh, I want to try this. I want to try that. And you could see people going, do you get lobsters? What about crabs and this kind of stuff? So it was amazing to see, actually. And it was really nice to be able to go and buy straight from boats. So do you think that's a new norm now? Do you think that that's what's going to happen going forward, that local folk are going to have this access to seafood straight on their doorstep, effectively? I would like to think so. I think it was yesterday morning, actually, I saw my neighbours, the local fish merchant was delivering straight to their door yesterday, which I thought was really cool. I'm not seeing prawns on the market here nearly as much now that the European markets have opened up. So maybe it's not quite as good as what we had seen, but I think it's certainly opened people's eyes and has given people that kind of taste for seafood as well. I was speaking to a younger guy when I was queuing up one day to buy prawns from the boat and he'd never had them before and was asking the skipper of the boat, right, how do I cook these? And then it was that knowledge as well that was coming through and obviously you don't want to cook them very long. And he was going, no way, I would have cooked them for like four times that length of time. So it was all this kind of tight of getting added in that I thought was really cool. That's a lovely story, Magnus, and I really enjoy that image. Thank you very much. Now we're going to welcome Nicola Muir from Fort William to find out a little bit about her food stories. So Nicola, could you start off by telling us a little bit about your average weekly food shop? So um, living in Fort William, pretty much access to local supermarkets. We have a big, large Morrison supermarket. We have Tesco, Metro and the High Street. There's a couple of wee co-ops dotted around outlying villages. Probably like most people, I do a kind of large weekly shop and then top it up with going to some of the smaller supermarkets. Um, I think COVID changed all that for lots of reasons. We live in a croft. I am not the best gardener in the world. I would really aspire to do better at growing my own fruit and veg. I think I was a lot better at it when the kids were younger. I'm not a natural gardener. I'm not green fingered, but there is something lovely about growing your own. So we have tried that years ago and then kids kind of grown older, not so much lost interest, but it hasn't been the priority it was when they were little. And then this year, we kind of got back to planting our own fruit and veg again with varying success. We've also got a really good organisation called Food Lachaber here. And they are kind of they're connected to the Lachaber Environmental Group. And basically, they are a place for local food producers that might not be 
huge and large and have their own markets and, and engines for selling, but you can sell your produce through Food Lochaber. They put online anything that's available that week and you can purchase it online and then go and collect it from their building. But that can be anything from kind of almost established local food companies to somebody that's grown lots of lettuce and they've got a glut and just wants to get rid of the extra. So that's a really, really good resource. And it's probably one that I, sh- I definitely don't use it every week, but I really should use it every week because they're really awesome. As I say, they have items that are certainly here, recognised local companies. We've got Great Glen Charcuterie. They do local salami and venison, that kind of thing. And stuff like craft gins, there's brewing companies, there's beers, there's whiskey, but there's also the croft next door have got too many tatties, so they've bunged their extra in and people can buy them. And that's just fantastic. There used to be a farm shop, but it unfortunately closed down a few years ago, but it was a really good resource here as well. And it didn't close down through lack of use. It was just the the people that ran it had come to the end of their time doing that. They couldn't find anybody else to continue with it. So they they had to close that. But I feel there's a real kind of lack of a kind of farmer's market here. I know we have have a market, a food market on the high street pre-COVID in the summer months. But that tends to be those kind of international European markets, which are lovely and great to have access to that. But... I think most people are aware just health-wise and environmentally and and food miles and all the things that you try and take into account. I think people just really do want to buy local if they can, but you're never going to get a local avocado. No, no matter how hard you try, I doubt it. But Foodlock Haber sounds like an absolutely fantastic setup. Do you know when it something like that can accommodate the full scale from a, an established company right through to someone who's just, as you say, the croft next door who's grown extra potato? That really is fantastic. What would make that easier for you to use? Do you know they have done everything they can? They send out weekly email reminders. They post on social media. They're very active in that. So it's probably just a time issue. I see the email and I think must do that order get back to it later and then before I know it's Thursday and I've missed another week so I do think it could be used by a lot more people and I don't know why a lot more people don't access it I don't know whether it's it's regarded as maybe artisanal or elite or and it's really not that you can buy your whatever you would buy in the supermarket you could probably buy there with the exception of some dairy I guess but I don't know if people disregard it as some kind of posh thing to do or it's it's not convenient for them. Maybe if they delivered rather than people had to go and pick up. It does cover a, a large geographic, like most places in the Highlands, you're covering a large geographical area. So, And especially, I suppose, with COVID, um, not being allowed to travel or trying to limit your travel. So not everybody's always going to be able to come into a central point in Fort William to, to pick up these items. But it is a good thing. Yeah, no, I get you. I totally hear what you're saying in terms of the public perception of local food, of that somehow being a premium product. And I think that there's really potential around some kind of marketing to promote the fact that local food isn't actually something that's only for the middle class folk that have got money for it. You know, it's something that we can all be accessing. But that's maybe something that needs to happen at a more collective level. So you're kind of talking a little bit there, Nicola, about how your shopping habits um, slightly changed during COVID. So if you could just elaborate a wee bit on that, if you feel that you've got something else that you wanted to add. 
my eldest daughter was off at university and we brought her back obviously just before the weekend before lockdown was announced I think we all had an inkling something was happening so we brought her back from Edinburgh there's five of us in the household and given that we were all at that still thankfully hale and healthy we kind of felt that her well her opinion was I need to do something I need to do something to give back I can't just sit in the house the next few months so she actually applied um our local supermarket Morrison's started a click and collect service which they hadn't ever done before but for COVID for lockdown they'd started this click and collect service so to obviously to limit amount of customers that were going into the shop you could just order online and then obviously just drive to the the supermarket and we've never really had that here so she started helping with that and one of the the benefits of that is having somebody working in the local supermarket so at the end of her shift if she was working she would phone me or text me and say what do we need so she was then doing the shopping for us she was bringing it all back and I think probably the biggest change is trying to grow our own lots of our friends and neighbors growing our own for years we've always kind of said we should have some kind of barter in place there's no point us all growing lettuce and then complaining that we've got too much lettuce and what can you do with the lettuce so you know if you grow lettuce and I grow tomatoes then we can swap it'd be nice to have some kind of formal function for that in place rather than just kind of well I'll grow the tatties this year and you can grow the peas but um and everybody seems to grow the, the same kind of stuff because probably as we kind of touched on earlier this we've got the same issues with the soil we've got the same issues with the land here so we're all growing the same things because we know that they grow so we got great strawberries this year lots of strawberries absolutely fantastic but the broccoli didn't turn out so good and neither did the tatties this year, but I've had on and off success with that. But I think um, that kind of growing your own, seeing what your neighbours have grown and then trying to kind of exchange with them. I think with the supermarkets limiting items and the, the amount of items you can buy, I think people have kind of maybe come to realise, do you really need the air miles on that pineapple? And just kind of looking at what's around them and, and what's available. That's really interesting what you're saying there, Nicola. So people have actually just started to think a bit more of, well, what can we actually do here? And I think that's definitely a positive that probably lots of people can relate to from across the Highlands in terms of how we've changed how we think about our food. Looking into the future, how would you like to see the local food economy evolve in Mojaber? I just, I would like to see it really burst and blossom and, and be the main, you know, the first thing that you do to get your food is to either go to a local market or a farmer's market or go online to Food Lochaber and have a delivery arranged or a pickup arranged. That, that would be the ideal. We're still going to need those kind of big chain supermarket shops. We still need the items there that we either can't grow here or just can't access or aren't food items. One of the things we really lack here is dairy. I think our nearest dairy supplier is probably in the Isle of Mull. So I think that's kind of, I've not heard or seen of anybody that does local cheeses or anything like that. Now that's got a lot to do with the climate, the type of farming, the soil, the land, the landscape. I totally understand that it's probably not viable to have a field of cows providing your dairy for you here. But there's obviously gaps in, in the market here that would be lovely to fill. That maybe ties into our, our final question, Nicola, which is, as a customer, what is your one local food wish? Lo- more local access to dairy would be good. And I kind of, I know it feels like it's out there on the fringes of Lochaber, but it's not quite in, in Lochaber yet. My big bugbear is food packaging, though. 
if I could change anything, it would be able to walk into a supermarket and not see cucumbers wrapped in cellophane. There's just no need for it. I believe that somewhere else in town there's a place called the Wildcat Cafe, and I think that they do things like grains and lentils and oats and that kind of thing, and you can just you know fill up your own containers and, and get them weighed and then take them away. So that kind of refillable, reusable, yeah, it's, it's really important as well, I think. I think that's a really important wish and it's something that's it's come up in other interviews, Nicola. This whole idea, the ridiculousness of our packaging is just so unsustainable and unnecessary, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, thank you for joining us, Nicola. It's been lovely to hear about your food stories and about the exciting initiatives down in Lochaber. Now we're off to the West Coast to speak with Chris Conniff from Inverasdale which is about six miles from Pool So if you could tell us what life has been like out on the west coast of Scotland during COVID, that would be great in terms of accessing food. Yeah, so for me, it's been okay. Um, our local shop has been really well stocked. And I think because we didn't have visitors to the area, the shops were stocking for local people and it was really well stocked. We've also been able to grow our own food like we do normally. So we had our own veggies that came online under our polytunnels. So we grew our own tomatoes. I grew peppers for the first time and aubergines. And I experimented with things that I wouldn't normally have time to take care of. So that was great. Um, we also had for other residents who didn't have access to their own growing plots, the local church and the local community groups all got food deliveries organised. So our local um, community growing group were delivering salad bags and other vegetables to these groups to distribute to the more vulnerable in the community, which has been great. So not only have I been able to grow for myself and get enough stuff from the local shops, we've also been able to distribute surplus to the rest of the community, which has been a really good thing to do. That actually sounds incredibly positive, Chris. And it's not necessarily that reflect of the story across the, the wider region, but it's really interesting to hear how a remote community has got that resilience built in by the community spirit and the programmes that were already in place. Yeah, I think that was one of the big benefits is that we're always so used to having to do it for ourselves that we have got three now development trusts locally who have all worked together and we've had a COVID response team so they've been getting hand sanitizers set up throughout the community they've been dealing with food bank donations we've just got on and done it really so all the mechanisms that were already there just kicked in very quickly so it has been a positive experience from my perspective now I haven't sort of gone out because of lockdown we haven't been able to talk to each other very much but I'm sure the feedback from most of the community would be that it's been a positive experience as far as accessibility to food has been concerned. That's good it sounds like it's not only just you know having access to food but it sounds also like you're having good access to proper nutritious local seasonal foods so that's a real added bonus. Yeah, um, and that's because we were lucky enough to have Good For You set up. So we've had all the big polytunnels in place where people were growing their own. That became an issue during lockdown because we couldn't allow access to the site. So that was a bit of a problem. But the family whose croft we grew on were able to actually get onto their croft and harvest food for these salad bags and other bits and pieces that went out to the community. 
do you think that Grow Your Own and maybe more specifically sort of community level projects of growing your own is a key component of a successful sort of local sustainable food system here in the Highlands? Yeah, but security of land, tenure is a really big issue. Making sure that you've got succession in the people that are actually running the organisation and then getting the wider community involved and active so that you're not just focusing on one site, that you've got that growing going on over the whole community. Because if that one group fails, like we had in lockdown where people couldn't get on the site because of lockdown, then you need other sites that can actually cope and deliver. So that's what we're now looking at is to actually get growing sites where there are um, demographically more people that can actually get involved in the growing um, and I think in an aging population like we've got here bringing along the next generation of growers is really vital uh, we've also got climate change mitigation as well because it's no good on the west coast here having loads of outdoor allotments um, so it needs to be undercover to mitigate against the high winds that we've got so we need really resilient fully funded undercover growing areas on the west coast so what would you like to see i think you've actually you've sort of answered that but how do you think the community that you live in could be more resilient in terms of food security going forward and what mechanisms do you think that we need to be put in a place for it to happen i think it needs a serious undertaking from central governments to make sure that councils are funded and then can pass on that funding to local communities. I think it's all about taking seriously, and I have been going on about this for years, is to give revenue funding to groups that you actually pay for people, not just for buildings, to build up their skills, their knowledge, their networking, um, and make sure that communities are working together to build resilience, and it does need strategic overview and it does need Highland Council and it does need Scottish Government to come together to make sure that they're putting in all the funding structures that need to be put in place to support it. Distribution of good quality food is also a really big issue so I would really like to see the momentum back again on what we were looking at a few years ago was, okay, we've got this produce, how do we get it into the communities? How do we reach the most vulnerable in the community? So things like GP veg boxes that used to be done a few years ago that I'd love to see that brought back again and proper thought given to how do we get this food throughout the community and not just to the people that can be active and can get to it. I hear where you're coming from, Chris. This is definitely an important piece of the puzzle. Thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts. Now I'm joined by my dear friend Karen Cormack. Karen is the head teacher at Dingle Academy and was instrumental in bringing alive my idea of a school farmer's market over three years ago. We had lots of fun connecting pupils to their food as well as producers to many new customers. We haven't had a market since Christmas last year and I do miss the smell and buzz these markets brought. However, this initiative did create long-lasting customer-producer relationships and I know Karen continues to enjoy some of our finest local food. So Karen, please tell us about your average weekly food shop. Hi there, so yes, you've, you've already mentioned that I think it's fair to say my shop is very heavily influenced by the, the farmer's market, the food assembly that, that we held 
at Dingwall Academy over those years. And, you know, I'm, I'm really feel very privileged that I was able to make connections with, with the producers that were there. So I'll get my dairy from Black Isle Dairy, um, bread from, from Nikki Burdekin and, and Strath Pepper, veg box, I get a veg box delivered from, from Knock Farrell. And then also looking at the, the Dingwall High Street, I think we're so lucky in Dingwall. We have amazing butchers, so regular visits to, to the butchers. And yes, I also go to the local supermarket. I think it's fair to say that my basket in the local supermarket is um, far less than it was probably a couple of years ago. You know, that balance has definitely evened out in terms of visits to the supermarket and visits to these fabulous local producers that we have. What we've got in here is, is some local producers who've adapted to the COVID and lockdown situations. So producers who quite quickly adapted and changed things so that they would deliver and strath pepper breads a really good example of that. Nikki will deliver fortnightly. But the butchers, they're in the high street of Dingwall. And that is a big part of my shop, visiting that high street. There's also, I have to say, a fantastic fruit and veg shop on the Dingwall High Street that's also a, a weekly visit for me. So it's really a combination of them all. Has your shopping habits changed over this year, especially since lockdown? Yes, yes. I mean, that move, there had definitely been that shift in my shopping to more local produce. And that's continued, I would say, more so during lockdown. I was really, really impressed how some of our local businesses responded really quickly to the challenge of lockdown. And they, they recognised very quickly that they had to adapt if they were going to survive. And I appreciate it was about survival for many of them. But it was also, I think, much more than that. I think there was a genuine response from our local producers and local businesses to serve their community. Um, and that was very, very genuine. And so this fruit and veg shop that on Dingle High Street that I've already mentioned, it started stocking bakery, it started stocking dairy produce, the all elusive flowers and baking powders, you, you could get them there. And they were really, really going absolutely out of their way to provide a service for their community. Also, you know, just another relatively new local business, Highland Farm Cafe, they, again, just a really good example of, of adapting and they changed things so you could phone up, you could order and it was there for you to just arrive and collect. So a really difficult time. They were making real efforts to make the shopping experience as, as pleasant as it could be. And I really do hope that people in, in the community remember and, and stay by these local businesses who did so much and continue to do much so much to support us a really really difficult time yeah absolutely hopefully this sort of new sense of loyalty continues I think I can guess what you're going to say to this one but why do you like shopping locally um there's probably two parts to it supporting local businesses is, is really important to me you know I'm the head teacher of, of a, a secondary school I always talk about our secondary school being part of our community and I think it's really important that that sense of community is something that's really, really important to me. And I think over the last few months, people have been much more aware of how vulnerable small businesses are and how reliant they are. And it might seem a really obvious thing, but I think people are now much more aware of how absolutely reliant they are on people spending their money 
in these shops. And that awareness that where you spend your money has a direct impact on a person or person's livelihood. And that in turn has an impact on, on our community and the community that we all live in. So it's, it's that cycle of supporting our local businesses that, that promotes our local community. I think we're much more aware of that over the last few months. But also the quality of the produce. People aren't going to buy things unless the quality's there. So for me, from these small producers, I get fresh food, I get seasonal food, I get food with no food piles attached, and it tastes really, really good. <laughs> Anybody who's visited Black Isle Dairy and had their ice cream, I'm sure will vouch for that. It tastes really, really good. Yeah, I can second that one for sure. So you obviously got a very positive personal experience, but how do you think this differs from what you've observed from a professional point of view? Yeah, I have to say that's something I'm very aware of. Lockdown was hard. Lockdown was incredibly difficult. Everybody was really busy. Um, school closures, that was an experience that I don't think anybody really enjoyed. But I am very conscious that on, on top of all the stresses and strains attached to that, I never had to worry about food. I never had to worry about meal times, And lockdown brought out huge positives in terms of how our community did support each other. And I've, I've touched on some of that, but, but I think we're all aware that lockdown exposed massive, massive inequalities. And, and these are still growing. They're absolutely, you know, very, very much still out there. And, you know, we've talked about much was made of the sourdough revolution, this sourdough trend that went on during lockdown. And I remember reading that, you know, for every sourdough creation out there, there's a family in crisis. And we have to remember that and that community response that we've seen, you know, we have to keep that at the top of the agenda as we, as, you know, as we ease our way in and out of lockdown. And it's, it's, there's a very, very rocky road still ahead of us. I mean, we were lucky with the community response. We had a charity based in Dingwall who would get food to any child or any family quickly and without question. I know you were involved with similar in, in your award. But we, there is no doubt we have an increased number of families and youngsters in our area who are living living in poverty and who are absolutely worrying about where that next meal will come from. But yes, in all of this, I am very, very conscious as we talk about you know the wonderful produce, the absolutely wonderful produce we have on our doorstep for an increased number of families. It's really, really difficult. Yeah, I would I would agree with you that wholeheartedly. But a good a good step in the right direction, like what you're saying, is that kindness definitely creates resilient communities. And knowing that there's such an equality within our community is heartbreaking. But at the same time, I think just being grounded enough to know that it means that we can be exceptionally grateful for what we do have and then sharing mm -hmm. and maximising these community platforms for sharing our surplus and for showing kindness definitely um, definitely goes a long way. So, yeah, kindness, yeah, absolutely. You know, kindness, perhaps one of the, the most underrated qualities that we, we've let slip. The value of kindness, it's an easy quality to be able to demonstrate and one absolutely that we've seen tremendous examples of during lockdown and we cannot let that go. Definitely, Karen. So looking into the future, how would you like to see the local food economy evolve? I mean, I think firstly, I would love to see our high street grow. Dingwall's a market town and for decades, people have come to Dingwall to buy, to sell. 
But we know that when people come to a market town to buy, to sell, they also come to meet people, they come to share stories, they come to find out who people are. And again, I would say that during lockdown, we saw people doing more of that. We saw people stopping, we saw people talking, we saw people waiting patiently on the high street and, and talking and having that conversation with each other. As far as how the school could perhaps get involved in some things, we were on the verge of with the food assembly talking about how could we get youngsters out and that link with kindness again and what we've experienced during lockdown, there is an opportunity for us to think about how can we use our youngsters to do some intergenerational work, to be involved in food deliveries, but back to that market town and it being more about just delivering food. It's about connection with people. It's about stopping and having a conversation. So I think definitely there's work to be done there. You know, we, we joked before about perhaps getting e-bikes, perhaps getting kids out and about in the community delivering e-bikes. But do you know that that's absolutely something that can happen? And again, has, has lockdown not shown us that we have to be creative? We have to think differently. There's some real opportunities out there to use food as a means of connecting different parts of our community. Yeah, I think that's what we've just talked about over the years is how food can be a vehicle to deliver so many different messages. And when you think about what the important things are for young people to appreciate and to be grateful for and to build on that word coming back to kindness, understanding the importance of kindness, what I love about the philosophy in Dingle Academy is that strong sense of community and how the pupils in the school do see themselves as part of the community. And I think when we found ourselves in a crisis this year, it's the community that rallies around, isn't it? So therefore, building that community spirit, you therefore have that resilience and you have that connection between people. It doesn't really matter what their background is or what age they are the point is it's when everybody works together that things happen yeah and and I think that you can teach them so much at school but those fundamental values of just looking after people and being kind and sharing and volunteering your time to help your community is just so imperative and that's what I loved about the work that we were doing and the thought about maybe rekindling some of that is definitely exciting yeah it's powerful you know, I, I think if you give youngsters the opportunity to care and to demonstrate kindness, they do it so well. So to finish off, Karen, as a customer, what is your one local food wish? <laughs> Apart from to have Black Isle dairy on my doorstep with ice cream. <laughs> okay, I think my one wish is probably less to do with the actual food and more to do with the packaging around food. We were making real progress with reduction in plastic, with people thinking about packaging. We typically would have youngsters um, a lot go down to the supermarket during lunchtime, but many of them would bring back plastic bags. Many of them would bring back single-use bottles and various things. And we were starting, there was a real momentum in that area, and young people were really challenging this and just not accepting of it and saying there has to be a different way. And I think... We all feel that that's been lost a bit over the last few months and we cannot focus on solving one crisis while creating another. My one wish, I think at the moment, I'd like to see the big retailers, I'd like to see the small retailers all revisiting and reviewing packaging and waste. The wonderful Sir David Attenborough, I heard him being interviewed this morning and he was asked what his one message would be and he said, just don't waste 
just think about waste, reduce waste. Yes, that would be my one. That's a fantastic wish. And there's there's definitely action that needs to happen at a um, higher level. But that's definitely something that as individuals as well, we can take these actions by the choices that we make. You know, one of the most powerful things we have is the pound that's in our pocket. Mm-hmm. Karen, thanks so much for your time. It's been lovely to hear about your shopping experiences in Dingwall. Lovely talking to you. Oh, cheers, my lovely. <laughs> Karen raised some important points regarding the growing inequality in our society and how the access to good food isn't always an option for some people. I don't think we can discuss access to local food without addressing this significant issue. So now I welcome Ian McKenzie from Highland Third Sector Interface. Ian provides support to new community groups across the Highlands and has been particularly busy this year helping set up many food poverty related initiatives. So Ian, can you tell us a little bit about what you have observed during this last six months? Sure. I mean, I, I think the, the issue that we're facing all the time is the inequality of poverty. Um, I mean, that's the biggest issue of it all. And as, as, I, as I understand it, about 15% of the population live below the poverty level. And, and it's, it's about 17% for children. And that's just absolutely atrocious. We've seen almost a 100% increase in Highland in people applying for universal credit since the start of the pandemic. And with about a five-week lead-in time, that's leaving people with no income for five weeks. And that's just not sustainable at all. No, it's absolutely not, Ian. And it's heartbreaking when you hear those um, statistics. What activity have you noticed in communities and how have communities been responding to this challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think communities across Highland have been absolutely brilliant. I think the smaller the community, the more they've actually just taken on responsibility for their own people. So we've actually seen more and more community fridges, community larders, food tables um, and things getting set up all over Highland. Um, I was part of a group that we're looking at setting up a charity just before COVID came. And we, we'd set an ambition to roll out 50 community fridges across Highland over the next couple of years. And actually, I don't think we need to be there anymore because communities have actually just stepped up to the plate and they've done it. And I mean, I couldn't be any more proud of communities than the stories I'm hearing all over Highland. It's absolutely phenomenal. But it still shouldn't be. And I suppose that's a dilemma that I have. I'm really excited that communities are actually responding and meeting their local needs. But I just continue to think that it's pretty disgraceful that in our modern day society, we're still having to issue people food free because they can't earn an income. I'm I'm shocked and saddened by it, but really proud that the communities have stepped up to the plate at the same time if that makes sense. No, absolutely. It does, Ian, and I can I can hear where you're coming from and it's hard and it isn't fair. And we've been hearing during this podcast from people all over the Highlands how their access to food changed during this time. And it didn't really matter even how much money you earned, the access to food became challenging, especially in the first couple of months as the stock on the supermarket shelves dwindled. But just to sort of develop what you said a little bit further, Ian, is there a couple of stories that you could pick from across the Highlands that maybe show the community spirit that you're speaking about? 
Yeah, we've set up a new community fridge in Dingwall and it took a little while to get that going. But that's been up and running for, I think, about six or seven weeks that that's been up and running now. And already we're seeing somewhere between 50 and 70 people accessing the fridge every day in Dingwall. I mean, that is just a huge demand. I mean, the volunteers that are there are just struggling to keep the fridge and the shelves stocked. It's just absolutely phenomenal. But it's just crucial that that's what people manage to do. I'm so, so pleased that Highland Council managed to keep the school meals running this year during the school holidays, because that's always such a pressure time for families, is to see their kids probably going to go without food. And the pressure that puts onto people is just immense. So all credit to Highland Council for being able to keep the school meals running. And I'm saying that in the hope that they're actually going to definitely keep it running during the October holidays and the Christmas holidays coming up as well. Really, really hope that they're going to be able to do that as well. Fingers crossed on on that one, Ian. That's fantastic when I hear just how well the Dingwall community fridge is going. That is a phenomenal amount of users, which in one hand is very sad. And on the other hand, well, it's just incredible to hear that that amount of families are now being helped. I suppose for me, there's always just such a huge challenge. And your group's called the Highland Good Food Group. And the bit for me, it's about trying to make good food much more available to people on a low income. And that's much, much harder to do. If you take things like fuel poverty into account, by the time you're looking at good food that you can take home and prepare and cook, it actually sometimes does work out a lot more expensive. And people will come and they'll disagree with me and say, no, it's not, no, it's not. But it's so much cheaper to be able to throw something in a microwave than it is to have three pans in an oven going to be able to produce good food. And we have to look at things like fuel poverty as well as food poverty because they're hand in glove. The other bit that I just keep coming back to is the whole issue about bullying and kids and trying to send kids to school with some home-cooked dinner rather than a bag of crisps and a bar of chocolate. It just has really bad effects on the kids that are there. And we've got to be tackling these issues on a much, much bigger scale. I think we can't really talk about community fridges and we can't really talk about this idea of free food without exploring what the actual type of food that people are accessing through these channels. How would you describe what these donations look like or what quality of food that people are are accessing from either a community fridge or through the many, many examples of emergency food parcel projects that have been rolled out across the area. The bit I'm excited about, about the food, and let me tell you, between the new project Highland Food Hub, they've sent over 10,000 items of food out through Fairshare, Seafine. We've had 72 tonnes of food delivered to Highland that's being distributed. We've seen a brilliant activity happening with the Sutherland Care Partnership, where they've got all sorts of people working together. So food's delivered into Dornoch and then it's distributed out there. We've got Inverness Foodstuffs have put out 10,000 meals since the start of COVID, all home cooked, all vegetarian. I mean, lots of people said when Inverness Foodstuffs started off, you'll never get homeless people eat vegetarian food. Rubbish. Over 10,000 meals that have been put out there just now. 
there's some brilliant responses going out there. And the food parcels have improved immensely. And because of the way it's going, it's no longer just a couple of tins of tomatoes and things um, going out and some white pasta. The quality of food that's going out right now in food parcels is enough for a, an entire family for a whole week. And it's good quality. There's fresh food involved in it. There's meat products involved in it at the minute. So it's really going forward immensely. Brilliant stuff. That is so encouraging to hear that, Ian, because from what you're saying, if there's fresh fruit and vegetables included in there and it's not just all tinned, then that, that's a shift. That That's a change. I love what's happening at Inverness food stuff and 10,000 meals in six months. Like That is amazing. That is really, really exciting. Where do they get their ingredients from? Like, how does that whole um, setup work? It's a, a huge variety. They're getting it mostly. It's donated from local supermarkets. But again, they're getting stuff through um, Fair Share. They're getting it from the Food Hub. They've had stuff from Highland Council Food Hub as well. They've got a team of volunteers that go out almost daily to pick up donations from supermarkets. Absolutely phenomenal quality of work that these guys are doing. It's just really encouraging also from what you're saying is that even in these hard times when it has been tough for a lot of people, there seems to be a lot of people coming together to help. Yeah. But there's contributions from the public sector, the third sector, the private sector as well. And you think people have come together, which is fantastic to see. Do you have any concerns over the sustainability of these projects and the dependency that is being created there that's maybe challenging to manage? Yeah, I mean, we're we're trying to get around some of them just now. We're about to launch a survey through the Highland Poverty Action Network to, to try and find out exactly what people are doing and what their intentions are going forward. I think there's some projects have expressed a concern that they had a lot of volunteers, but as volunteers were going to get back to work, they're now struggling. So we're trying to get in touch with folk and just say, let us know if you want volunteers. We'll try and see if we can match volunteers up with projects. One of the things I want to try and do in the next few weeks is to see if we can get some sort of network of these community responses together and actually get them talking to each other. There is so much knowledge and experience and lessons that people have learned there, and it would be really sad to lose that. So I would love to get people talking to each other. That's a theme, Ian, that's running through all of these different podcasts. It's just the importance of connection and bringing people together and connecting us all up. Ian, what do you think needs to happen in the Highlands for us all to have access to good food within the next decade? Um, I think the biggest bit that we can do is to improve people's income. I mean, it's great having emergency responses to people's need, but would it not just be so much better if people could actually afford to live and contribute and be part of their own community? So one of the things that we have been working with, again, with Highland Council and with um, all sorts of other organisations is about income maximisation. So we're trying to make sure that everybody who's actually coming and accessing some of the foodstuffs is actually getting access to someone coming to just check their benefits with them, looking towards sustainable employment. I mean, Highland has been absolutely hammered because of the lack of tourism, and that's going to be a big issue for us. So, I mean, improving people's access to money has got to be the best way of actually tackling anything to do with poverty. It's just, let's get people enough money to live on. 
I do, I do want to finish in one story, if, I'm, if I can, Emma. I'm thinking back to, it was a book that was written in 1933 by George Orwell called Down and Out in Paris and London. And there's one particular chapter in that book where he talks about the amount of money he's got and he's got the choice of either buying food or paying his rent. And he spends a, a whole chapter talking about all of the reasons why he should buy food and sleep outside and all of the reasons why it would be much better to sleep inside but be hungry. And after all of this wrestling in his head, he can't make a decision. So he goes and gets drunk and ends up on the street and hungry. I read that book like 30 odd years ago and it's never left me. And sometimes I'm just, I just get stuck that people are faced with choices, that there is no right choice. There is only the best bad decision you can make. And we as a society, we as a Scottish nation can actually do something about that. And we can choose to get in touch with our government and say, let's get people sufficient money to live on that they don't need charity. That would be my ideal society. That's what I would want. I'll be screaming that when they screw the lid down on me, I think. <laughs> oh, Ian, thanks for, as always, sharing them heartfelt stories and, and comments. And I think we can definitely both agree that everybody has the right to good food. You know, we need to be we need to be fighting for that. Yes. Right, thanks very much, Ian, for joining us this morning on the Highland Good Food Podcast. Thanks for having me. And um, let's just work really hard together and get people to stop being hungry. Now I'm delighted to welcome our final guest, who's also our first international guest, Pisa from Finland. Pisa's married to a Scot, and they share their time between Finland and Dornach. And I've been hearing many wonderful things about the local food sector in Finland, so I thought it was a brilliant opportunity to discuss with Pisa, who has experience of both countries. So welcome, Pisa. Hi, Emma. Please could you start by telling us about your average weekly shop when you live in Dornach? We are omnivores, so our weekly shopping comprises meats, fish, fruit and vegetables. We try to plan ahead in order to avoid going to the shops too often, particularly in these Covid times. We live about two kilometres outside of Dornoch. Dornoch itself does have good services. A co-op, a food store, a butcher, a deli, a baker, though I make my own sourdough bread, and three fish vans come every week. The fish comes from Scottish waters, crustaceans from Brora, mussels from Shetland. For most shopping, we drive to the Tame because the selection is better there. How does this differ from your experience of living in Finland? The difference between Dorno and where we live in Finland isn't a country-specific one. It is rural versus urban. One big difference is the concept of a high street, where you have small food shops. Finland is very supermarket-oriented. To get high street type of services, we'd need to go to a market hall with individual stalls. Larger cities have them, smaller don't. Can you compare the accessibility, both physically and financially, of local food in your two homes? Price-wise, fruit and veg are less expensive in Finland, and there's more of it. Um, meat products, maybe fish, and alcohol are more expensive. On accessibility to local food, how do you define local? Scottish, or local growers and producers? In our location in Dornoch, surprisingly, 
Lidl is the best place to get Scottish produce. The co-op does British, but we also always start with Scottish, then British, then EU. There is a community market in Dorno every two weeks in the summer, well, obviously not this summer, where we can buy organic charcuterie from Grove and cheese from the Promerty Cheesemonger. I would love to see more fruit and veggies at this market. Now there is just the odd garlic or bunch of rhubarb. In Finland, seasonality hit through a couple years ago. Supermarkets now give a more prominent display to seasonal produce and fish. The ones out of season are still there, but not so prominently, like asparagus from Peru. And are there any initiatives in Finland that you would like to see in the Scottish Highlands? There are two Finnish initiatives which may give ideas on what could be done in the Highlands. However, here we must remember that the Highlands is a very sparsely populated area and for many people doing any shopping means a long drive. Getting locally grown and produced goods to customers is also a long drive. One concept is the Reko market. The name comes from the Swedish word Reel Konsumtion, fair consumption, where customers can order food from local producers in closed Facebook groups. These record rings are all over Finland and in other Nordic countries. They are run by volunteers who receive no remuneration for their work. The producers drive to designated areas for 30 minutes and we consumers go over to pick up our orders. We pay as we pick them up. Very efficient. They come around every two weeks. The other one is Express. As you probably can tell by the name, it started with eggs. A young farmer decided to go into free-range eggs and started selling them to his friends from the boot of the family car. Gradually, things picked up, and he now has a couple vans driving around on different routes all over Finland, selling not only eggs, but also produce from other small growers and producers. They deliver their goods to Express, who deliver them around Finland. Orders are done online on Express's website, and you pay as you pick your things up from the van. They come around once a month. As I said earlier, much of the highlands is very sparsely populated. These concepts may give ideas, but might need adjusting. As a customer in the highlands, what is your one local food wish? Our one local food wish, fresh and in-season fruit and vegetables and potatoes. In Dornoth, the selection is either limited or the fruit and veggies are a bit tired. That's it for now. I hope you've enjoyed hearing different consumer stories from across the highlands big thank you to all of our guests. The importance of community really comes through strong for me. We have all felt the impact of COVID-19 in one way or another and our food stories certainly unite us. Supporting our local producers, community initiatives and our high street shops builds in resilience that is priceless, especially during a crisis. I think another key message we can all take away from this is the ever important reminder to be mindful about food packaging. By the choices we make as consumers, we can make a difference. You have been listening to the Highland Good Food podcast. Remember to subscribe at highlandgoodfood.scot and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. See you next time.